From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, hello there, and thanks for inviting me into your home, your RV, your camper, your long-haul truck. Maybe you're driving a cab listening in. Perhaps you're listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, 50,000 watts of peace and love here in the greater Toronto area, and it carries way down into the U.S., Maine to Minnesota, Chicago, all the way south to the Carolinas. Uh, or perhaps you're listening in on one of our U.S. affiliates, the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TalkZone.com, the, uh, the Conspiracy Show app, which is uh, now available at iTunes and Google Play. However and wherever you are listening, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I want to begin with uh, an apology. A few months ago, I interviewed an individual about his theory that the Earth is flat. And this would constitute a huge conspiracy and a huge cover-up, of course. I thought the interview was actually quite interesting. Now, keeping in mind, just because I have people on this program, uh, doesn't mean I endorse what they're saying or that I agree with them. However, as I say, I thought it was an interesting discussion. It had merit. And I'm game to consider and listen to just about anything. But I have limits, obviously. We have to have limits. Since that interview, I have learned that the particular individual who was on the program also happens to hold very odious views. This individual is a Holocaust denier. And that is something I absolutely will not consider or listen or give time to. Full stop. Uh, now, this individual did not discuss this on the program, and I was not aware of it when he was on the program. Um, but it is something that he does write about. And now that I know that, I obviously regret that he was on the program. And I, I wish to apologize for that. I wish I'd known sooner, and, and, and uh, I wish I knew th- sooner. And the fact that I didn't is my fault entirely. I should have dug deeper uh, before I allowed this individual on the program. I'm just thankful that none of that nonsense was talked about on the air, nor will it ever be, while I have breath in my body. Uh, so... The, the, the program on the Flat Earth Conspiracy is still available in the archives at richardserrett.com. However, I've asked Elbert to take down the link to the guest's website. Uh, and it goes without saying that this person will, will, will not be on the program again. I'm sorry he slipped past me. Uh, of all the Flat Earth theorists in all the world, why did it have to be him? Uh, okay. Now that we've um, put that out there, and it was important to say, uh, my brother-in-law has this uh, T-shirt. It's black, and written across the chest, in big, bold, white letters, it says, Hell was full, so I'm back. And I get I get a kick out of that T-shirt every time I see him wear it. Now, uh, in the interest of full disclosure... 
the message on that T-shirt doesn't square with my understanding of hell or my faith uh, tradition. I've always believed that hell is pretty well a one-way ticket. You go, you don't get out, you don't come back. But what if there is a get-out-of-hell-free card, just like the Monopoly game, the get-out-of-jail-free card? In some religious traditions, it is, in fact, possible to extricate yourself from hell. My next guest is here to tell us all about that. She's a writer, producer, a longtime member of the National Academy of TV Arts and Sciences, a member of a Hollywood Emmy Award-winning team. She was formerly with ABC in Hollywood. Her research looks into hell, death, and other dimensions and paranormal phenomena. She explains that these phenomena really exist and how they operate according to the laws of science. Psychic ability is genetic and transferred from parent to child. Humans are a part of the universe and are subject to energy fields from outer space as well as weather conditions. Human and animal ghosts actually exist and are energy patterns comprised of atomic particles held together with a north-south axis. There really are other dimensions, and they, they were mentioned in the Bible as the seven heavens above us. Angels are actually with us as always and have been seen by many having near-death experiences. We'll also talk about the near-death experience. In her book, How the Hell to Get Out of Hell, Diane Morang explains the afterlife experience as detailed by Eastern religions, where meditation is practiced in this life, so that the soul need not experience the lower dimensions in the next. The great pleasure to welcome Diane Morang to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, Diane? Well, I'm fine, and thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, my pleasure. Well, how does one go from writer-producer working with ABC in Hollywood, uh, working with a Hollywood Emmy Award-winning team, into this whole field of after-death research? I think it's because um, I was very psychic at, at one point to, where I actually had to work at turning it off, and it took me about eight months because I was experiencing everybody else's life, and I really didn't have anything left for me. And my mother uh, also had psychic ability, and she was also mediumistic. And I, um, I think I was very led to do this, and I decided I would start researching, and I researched for 25 years before I began writing this book. I had to buy books from Europe that weren't even available in this country, but um, I also had to study about Eastern religions, of which I had actually known nothing. And um, I think that uh, there is enough material out there that when put together uh, and written in the correct way, that it actually um, really is um, expressing to us what we need to know, especially at this time that religion is going through such a change. And uh, quite honestly, religions are going to be very happy with this material because it really does reconfirm what they are teaching. It's just that uh, I think a lot of religions have gotten very convoluted uh, making up laws for us, and um, there really uh, aren't that many laws that we need to abide by in order to get out of this dimension, which is the third dimension, 
and go on to the higher dimensions. Well, Diane, that's interesting. You mentioned that. I, I want to come back and revisit that, uh, the, the idea that religions uh, should be happy. Uh, you know, they don't spend a lot of time talking about near-death experiences, and yet I feel that that is a, a great affirmation and a great uh, piece of evidence that there is, uh, you know, that, that, that consciousness survives physical death of the body, and, and you would think that they would want to use that as part of their arsenal, but they're, they're very <laughs> careful not to discuss it. They step around it almost as if they're embarrassed by it. However, let me get back to something else, and that is, I mean, you were an investigative reporter. Yeah. Um, you must have been terribly conflicted, uh, or not necessarily conflicted, but very uh, hesitant to want to, you know, it, it, to talk about these things with with colleagues because you know we know that uh, by and large, in, investigative reporters, journalists, uh, the people that toil in the mainstream media, um, you know, they sort of have one particular linear way of looking at the world, and anything that sort of doesn't fit with that, they don't have a lot of time for that. Did you deliberately have to sort of keep this quiet, this aspect of your life, when you were with your? Um, with your colleagues in the, in the news business? Uh, it wasn't that I had to uh, do that. It's that, um, you know, you don't uh, discuss certain subjects with certain people, and there was more sameness in this area that was developing on the side, and so much uh, was starting to be generated about psychic phenomena and life after death and all of this. And so you relegate those conversations to those people, but now it's so widespread. I mean, it's hard to find anybody who doesn't believe in reincarnation or karma, uh, things like that. Good point, good point. Um, now, I, uh, as I mentioned, I, I, uh, I come from a, a particular faith tradition that believes that hell is kind of a one-way street. Uh, it is, uh, my, my view and my understanding is that it's, it sort of represents an absence of God. It's not necessarily, you know, eternal uh, hellfire where you're tormented and, and poked and prodded by, uh, uh, you know, the devil with a, with a pitchfork and, and um, you know, burning in a, in a fire. It is sort of the absence of God. You have rejected God, and so that is sort of the the dimension that you reside. It's your choice. That's free will. Um, what do you think hell looks like, based on your well, research? According to what I have found, it's a really ugly place, and it has different levels to it. And there are people there who are in torment. Uh, but I do not believe that hell is forever. It may take a very, very long time for people like Hitler to get out of there or serial killers. And uh, you have to suffer everything that you did to another, even if it's an animal. And um, how does, I mean, in, in addition to sort of reading uh, accounts and, and, and traditions, uh, Eastern traditions and so forth, talking about these other dimensions, um, did you interview uh, uh, people who had near-death experiences? Because one of the things I found is in reading the literature is it's 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 full of accounts of people who see the light and experience the unconditional love uh, and so forth, and then they're told it's not your time, go back. Uh, we don't hear a lot about people who have or who catch a glimpse during an NDE of the other place. Have you talked to people who have had that glimpse? Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, 
this uh, material is based primarily on uh, people who have had negative near-death experiences, and it's also based um, on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which has been in use for about 2,500 years. Yes, we, I want to get around to the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, but uh, the accounts of people that have had a glimpse of hell, uh, first of all, do you, why don't they get the same sort of attention as uh, the, 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 uh, the accounts of the, the other place, the heaven, uh, the, 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 the light, the, uh, the, the um, unconditional love? Why don't we hear more from the other side? Because people don't want to talk about that. That's why. And also, I guess if, if they told other people about what they had seen, you know, that they had seen hell, uh, I, other people, the ones to whom they are speaking, would probably think, God, this is really a bad person. I don't know if I want to continue this friendship or relationship or whatever, or even conversation. I mean, if this person saw hell, they must be a really bad person. All right, uh, Diane Morang stays with us, the author of How the Hell to Get Out of Hell. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Diane Morang is with us, and uh, she is a... Uh, Emmy Award-winning writer, television uh, producer, and a former investigative reporter, and the author of How the Hell to Get Out of Hell. I would think that would be pretty much required reading for most of us. Uh, now, you mentioned earlier the uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, which I have not read. Um, uh, and then, of course, there is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Are both of these tomes, these ancient works, uh, talking about exactly that, how how to avoid that lower dimension? Um, you know, not really. I've read both of them, and I found that um, the um, Egyptian Book of the Dead uh, actually was rather obtuse. Now, I have about 13 years into the study of Egyptology, and I had considered taking a degree in Egyptology at the University of Chicago, but I decided I didn't want to be poor. So I moved along from that. But <laughs> I do choice. want to interject at this point that the full title of the book, it's very lengthy, is How the Hell to Get Out of Hell, Other Dimensions and Psychic Phenomena. Yes, thank you. And, yeah, and um, if you would like, I can go into something about what is in the various dimensions. Well, there are how many? Uh, I mean, theoretical physicists are now saying there may be as many as 11 or 12, I've read. Uh, yeah, Kaku is saying that. Yes. Uh, um, what it is is um, uh, that there are uh, actually, um, uh, supposedly there are uh, ten dimensions and that they are subdivided into seven to 49 uh, subdivisions. And, um, and also, um, you know, about getting um, out of hell, it really depends on what level uh, you go to. And let me begin by explaining that in 1984, the superstring theory in physics uh, postulated that there were the ten dimensions. And, uh, yeah, I know uh, Ms. Yukaku is saying that there are 11, and he may be very well right, uh, because we didn't have, you know, CERN uh, at that time. And uh, Buddhism has, uh, has taught the same thing, and that the dimensions are uh, subdivided, as I said, into seven to 49 other levels. And the tenth dimension has 20 subdivisions. Uh, by the way, we are in the third dimension, uh, with the two dimensions below us being varying levels of uh, hell, purgatory, and limbo. 
the seven dimensions above us are the seven uh, demen- uh, seven heavens about which St. Paul spoke in the Bible. Uh, dimension four is what we know as the Christian heaven. Uh, dimension five uh, does not have any earth-type construct. It is described as a deep, radiant, black void-like outer space, and sometimes with stars. Uh, the individual exists there only as mind, and thought there is telepathic. Uh, there is also a chance to reincarnate. Now, dimensions six, seven, eight, and nine also have no known construct uh, to which the human mind can relate. And it was at this point that uh, Gautama Buddha refused to give his followers any information because he thought it would only confuse them. That's interesting. Uh, that's. Uh, uh, I was just going to say you mentioned um, the Christian heaven, and it seems to me there's something in Revelation uh, that, uh, and to me, this speaks. Volumes about the the um, existence of hyper dimensions, um, because in Revelation it says the heavens receded like a scroll, the sky was split apart like a scroll. Uh, and you think of a scroll being sort of rolled up, but when you un unroll it, obviously it reveals this whole other, you know, space that that uh, and 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 I've heard theoretical physicists describe hyper dimensions like a scroll. You know, that wouldn't surprise me uh, because we are just really learning about this scientifically. And I think that science is going to do more to bring people back to religion than anything else. And um, also, uh, you know, this has been taught really by the Eastern religions for uh, 2,500 years. Uh, And even in ancient Egypt, Hermes Trismegistus, the great uh, mystic, um, he refused to... to, um, give his followers any information about the higher dimensions. And uh, probably it was because the human mind has a problem comprehending infinity. Um, What I heard, and I think this is just a rumor, I really don't believe this, but other people listening may have heard this uh, just recently within the last few weeks that um, CERN started up, and I presume a lot of you people know what CERN is in Switzerland. Yeah, the the, uh, the, uh, big accelerator there and that they shut it down because they started seeing ugly faces appearing in what they were doing. I've been hearing this rumor. And, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but um, if it is, then what they have done is that they have opened a corridor to a lower dimension. And um, I will just kind of digress here for a moment, but back in the early 1970s, I was called in to investigate this really horrendous haunting I mean, it had to be the worst that you could possibly ever heard of. It was definitely demonic, and people were killing each other. Oh, my. And the whole, it was a whole neighborhood was being haunted. And it had, I think that it had to do with these power installations that were nearby. And I mean, there was a lot of heavy-duty power there. And my personal opinion, and this, I mean, this is just my opinion, and I believe that what had happened was that somehow a corridor to a lower dimension had been inadvertently opened, and this is what was causing these horrible hauntings and these murders. Now you've got my attention. Well, you've had it from the get-go, but now <laughs> where, where, tell me more details about this haunting that you investigated. Okay. Um, it uh, was, um, oh, let's see, as I said, it was in the early 70s, and I was called there by one of the families Uh, Now, this suburb, I was told, was built on the Illinois prairie in 1950. At one time, uh, this had been Indian country that was used for encampments and parleys, 
and was crossed by the famous Potawatomi Trail. Uh, what happened was this. The family that called me in consisted of the parents and two very intelligent teenagers. Uh, they moved into a corner townhouse at an L-shaped intersection. They had bought this house from a family whose 17-year-old daughter had died of hepatitis in a hospital. Now, remember, she, she died in the hospital, not at home. When the new family moved in, they gave their own daughter the bedroom that had belonged to the deceased teenager. Uh, the family told me that the room felt unhappy. Uh, this lasted for about a year, and then it turned cold. Uh, it remained cold for four years, and the family instinctively shunned this room. The daughter told me that she didn't even like to change her clothes in there because she felt like someone was watching her. The room was on the second floor, and they said that sometimes the family dog would stand at the bottom of the stairs and bark up at nothing. Uh, the daughter said that one day when she was home alone on the first floor, she distinctively heard someone run across the floor above her. A dresser drawer could uh, be heard opening, and it sounded like uh, someone cleared their throat. Now, uh, across one of the intersection streets, uh, a family moved into one of the houses, and one of the parents supposedly murdered their infant. Now, that family moved out. Another family moved in to the same house. The lady in that same house stabbed her husband to death. Two different families, two different murders in one house. Wow. Wow. More. Three houses down from that, the lady of the house committed suicide. At that same intersection, but across the street, the family moved out after they were awakened one night by the screeching of their cat, who was on top of the dresser. They could hear footsteps coming up the stairs to their bedroom, and then two glowing red eyes appeared hanging in the darkness of their doorway. Well, they turned on the lights and searched, but they didn't find anything. But it didn't stop there. They were awakened another night by the sounds of a party going on in their house. They could hear people talking and laughing and glasses clinking, and it, was, it seemed to be coming from the next bedroom, which they knew was unoccupied. The owner of the house got out of bed, and he uh, told me he went down the hall, and he could still hear the party. But as soon as he opened the door, the sounds of the party stopped, and um, the room was dark. He checked outside. Uh, he checked later with the neighbors. No one had a party. No one heard a party. This kept occurring always at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, the witching hour can take place at any time of the day or night. The house next door to them was also having problems. Their dog started barking in the middle of the night, and then something crashed into the portable TV in their bedroom. They, they searched, and they, too, found nothing. Uh, it was not a one-time event. Another night, the lady of the house awoke, and the rocking chair was rocking with no one in it. Now, down the street on the same block, a young couple who I also interviewed was watching TV one evening, and it was just an average evening when all of a sudden a very large, very heavy glass ashtray floated off the coffee table, flew across the room, and smashed on the floor. Two blocks away, another tragedy. This time, the lady of the house stabbed her husband to death, stabbed the dog to death, and then committed suicide. And by the grace of God, the children escaped out of the house. Oh, my Lord. And, and this is all happening within weeks? And, and, well, I don't. I think it was over a period of a few months, but it was all in the same neighborhood, within like two blocks of each other, two or three blocks. But most of it was all at this one intersection.
And uh, now going back to the original family who moved into the corner house at the L-shaped intersection, their hauntings hadn't stopped either. Uh, they would often hear knockings and footsteps, but these would occur only when one member of the family was at home. But it was to the point that their next-door neighbors with whom they shared a common wall could also hear this. And then, uh, as I said, what I found is that this neighborhood is adjacent to large industrial installations, and plus there are two nearby radio stations and a string of high power lines supported by, you know, of course, large metal structures. So you've got a tremendous amount of energy here. And again, my theory is that it trapped the ghosts and that it also possibly, and I say possibly, uh, created a corridor to another dimension. Now, that's what I believe. I could be wrong. I have no proof that it did so. So how did it uh, stop, or did it? It, it, uh, it? it eventually just kind of petered out. But I will tell you that people were selling their homes and moving out without even telling anybody that they were going. I think one family moved out in the middle of the night. And, and, and then the people I know, um, they um, put up with it for a while, and they moved to another suburb. So this uh, this portal, uh, possibly your theory, opened up by mm-hmm. uh, you know perhaps these radio transmitters or some industrial installation. Uh, mm-hmm. So what what dimension was it? Uh, was this the astral plane that it was uh, accessing? It was just lower pits of hell. And I'll, I'll tell you something else that's interesting because a lot of people know who uh, Robert A. Monroe was, and um, uh, he could perform astral projection very easily, except that when he was being tested by scientists who put him in a Faraday cage, which is a mesh metal enclosure that screens out transmissions, but which is charged with a strong DC current, after he separated from his physical body, he could not get out of the cage in his astral body because of that electrical field. And when the researchers turned off the current, he could get out. And he had the same uh, predicament when he astrally projected and found himself positioned above a a street with his movement restricted along the magnetic field of high-voltage power lines. And again, you know, um, that's um, what my opinion and belief is. Um, Whether or not all of this power activity is disturbing the mental processes of the nearby residents um, of that suburb, I I don't know. And I also do not know if any scientist has done any study on that type of situation. But, um, you know, this is what I think possibly could make these stories that we're hearing coming out of CERN now uh, as uh, believable. But I don't know. Um, I just would have to have a lot more proof that what is going on uh, with CERN, uh, you know, is... Uh, uh, that's 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 really happening. Well, I, I would ha- I'd have to have something more in the way of documentation. Sure. Well, we, we I want what I want to broach when we come back is is um, sort of a, a maybe a, a scientific explanation or a theory as to what ghosts are uh, or w- whether we are in fact talking. Uh, about the souls of the departed or whether we're talking about some sort of a demonic uh, entity when people talk about a haunting and and a ghost uh, are they in fact seeing uh, you know a a a loved one's soul or uh, someone's soul a human soul sort of trapped on this plane or is there something else afoot Diane Morang is with us the author of How the Hell to Get Out of Hell, and we'll uh, talk about that and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and much more. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. 
Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. Diane Morang is with us, writer, producer, and the author of How the Hell to Get Out of Hell. Now, these apparitions that people uh, see, are we, in fact, experiencing uh, an interaction with the soul of a departed person, a human, or are we talking about a demonic entity, or is it a combination? When people experience a haunting, what's happening? Well, it could be a combination of things, but first of all, let's uh, address what they're actually seeing. Um, we know that every uh, thing that is alive has an energy pattern that looks like us in detail. It's made of ionized excite, uh, excited electrons and protons. Um, for some people who haven't um, had uh, a science classes, an ion is an electrically charged atom or group of atoms. Electrons are negatively charged particles forming a part of all atoms. And protons are the elementary particles found in the nucleus of atoms. Now, this energy field is polarized, which holds it together as a cohesive unit, and the poles point to the two magnetic poles of the Earth. These energy fields are colored, and the colors change with health, emotion, and mood. They react to magnetic fields, sound, light, and color. They will lose energy under conditions of exhaustion and anger. Now, researchers have photographed this field, and when they photographed amputees, it shows them with a full set of limbs. And Russian researchers who worked with the moment of death showed that sparks would shoot from the body until they were no longer able to photograph it, but their biological field detectors then registered new force fields nearby. And so what we're talking about here is our ghost, and we carry around our ghost just as invisibly as we carry around our skeleton. And since we are part of the universe, we react to the universe, and changes in the universe can cause changes in our energy patterns. So we're we talking about an, our astral body? We, yeah, well, uh, there's actually a number of different bodies, according to uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, and also, uh, people want to know a lot from me about animals, and also animals are psychic. But uh, animals do have uh, ghosts also, and people will tell me that um, they have had experiences uh, with their pets after their pets died. And uh, additionally, uh, people who have reported uh, the, um, uh, the going through the tunnel and meeting the light at the end of the tunnel, they will also encounter animals going through the tunnel at the same time, and sometimes if they had a pet with whom they were very close, the pet who has died before them will come to meet them. All right. Now, when you have a ghostly encounter, I mean, is this simply the envelope of that person, or does it have, uh, in other words, you're looking at the this collection of atoms, but does it have consciousness? Well, see, that's just it. You hit on a really, really big point, and that is we don't know if that has taken the mind with it. We don't know if it has consciousness, but there are a lot of instances where these things have, have reacted uh, to people who uh, confront them or that they have confronted. So whether that has the mind with it, if that is the soul, I don't know if we really have that. There, is, um, there are about five different... Uh, bodies, according to the Tibetan Book of the Dead that we have, and this is just one of them. I mean, we have our physical body, we have this body, um, and we have other bodies 
uh, that also um, are involved in this. And, um, I mean, I can go through this process with you as to what happens at the time of death. Yes, we do need to do that. And we will, we'll, we're just about, this is a short uh, segment. So we'll do that on the other, <clears throat> excuse me, on the other side because we need a, a little bit of a good chunk of time to discuss sort of the mechanics uh, of what happens to the soul, if you will, at the time of death. And then how, how we can get out of, of hell once uh, there, if that's uh, sort of uh, where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, first of all, uh, we just got a minute here, but w- w- how do we know? Uh, one of the things I always caution people against, you know, using uh, certain divination tools like Ouija boards, because I, I you know, why, why tempt fate? I, how do you know you're not being deceived when you believe it's your great uncle Waldo coming through and, and moving the planchet around the board? How do you well, know that you're not dealing with some sort of a trickster or, a, 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 you know, one of these a denizens of, the, uh, of one of these hell planes? Uh, St. John said in the Bible to test the spirits, and so you can ask them, um, well, uh, tell me something about our neighbors uh, in one of the houses that we lived in, you know, in uh, one of our neighborhoods there, or tell us uh, something about that was in a house that we grew up in. You can test the spirit like that, but mostly you're going to pick up um, very errant spirits, and uh, a lot of them can either be stupid or they can be malevolent. Um, and actually, I think you get a very small percentage of uh, the real thing. All right. We will uh, pick up on this most enlightening conversation with Diane Morang. How the hell to get out of a hell? Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, uh, Diane Morang stays with us. How the hell to get out of hell? All right, let's uh, spend a few moments and talk about uh, sort of the process. What happens to the soul at the time of death? Okay, well, first of all, we have to preface it with um, the validity of the near-death experience is that it has been experienced throughout the world for thousands of years with similarity by people of different cultural and religious backgrounds. Now, since brains are usually in the throes of death when this occurs and experiencing oxygen deprivation, the brain is disorganized. At this point, it cannot manifest coherent hallucinations. These are coherent experiences. Now, to answer your question exactly, during actual physical death, a process takes place which is referred to as the dissolution of the great chain of being. The dissolutions take place in this order. First, the body into the mind, which is the physical death. During the dissolution of the ordinary uh, mind associated with the physical body, there takes place a series of events which are further dissolutions of four essences or drops. The white essence, which is inherited from the Father, is found at the top of the head. This is presumed to be the enlightened mind. The red essence, which is inherited from the Mother, is found at the center of the navel. The third essence is found in the middle of the heart chakra and contains everything of the present lifetime. It dissolves before the soul begins traveling the dimensions, and this traveling is called the bardo experience. The fourth essence is found inside the third one and is considered indestructible through eternity. This includes the journeys of the soul through the cusp periods between incarnations 
It also includes the incarnations themselves and through the attainment of enlightenment. At the point where the third essence releases the fourth essence, consciousness stops. Now the mind dissolves into the soul, which is the life review and judgment upon meeting the light at the end of the tunnel. The soul then dissolves into spirit, which is the fourth essence, and this dissolution is both a release and a transcendence. Here is where the Bardo experience begins. The mind, soul, id, whatever you want to call it, enters a realm of projected imagination. Now, this is important. This projection is the reflected image of the state of your soul. The teachings of reincarnation are that the soul transmigrates unless it is enlightened. And for liberation to happen and the cycle of reincarnation to stop, the soul must dissolve into spirit, recognize the higher realms, and realize that it has a pantheistic existence. But this happens after enlightenment has been reached by the accumulation of virtue and wisdom and the absolute has been experienced. Those are really important things. The pantheistic nature can best be expressed as the bioplasmic energy, which is what we talked about is made out of uh, excited electrons and protons, and which is in all living things and is in fact the same essence as our ghost. And this is what we capture in Karelian photography. Yes, exactly, and which is simply part of the entire field. And here the soul will realize its higher nature is spirit. Now, reincarnation can either by, be by choice or be enforced. If reincarnation is in order, then the inverse process now takes place. The spirit becomes soul, soul becomes mind, mind becomes body, and this is the point where there is no remembrance of what has transpired. And um, do you know how to um, want to know how to get out of all of this? Well, yes, uh, but first let me just a- ask you then: Why do certain during this process? Why do certain uh, uh, individuals? seem to get stuck on this plane, which is why we are able to perceive them as ghosts. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you what. That oftentimes happens uh, because of the way a person died. If they died uh, in a violent manner, um, if it was, you know, by murder or a terrible accident or something like that, uh, what will happen is that they really don't know that they're dead. And that uh, will uh, that will help them to stay here where they shouldn't be. But it's interesting because animals will stay around their owners, and I've had some very interesting stories about that. Uh, stay around their owners? You mean even in death? Yes, yes. And I've had a couple of people who've told me the same thing. Sixty uh, percent of all people who own pets have their pets sleep with them and uh, particularly with dogs. And what will happen is they'll feel the, the dog who has died jump up on their bed and walk up to the place where they usually sleep next to them. And right, right. In, in other words, the, the pet in the afterlife has chosen to remain on this plane to be next to its owner rather than participate in this transmigration of souls. Well, yeah, and, and not only that, but the pet, the pet also may not know it's dead. And it will probably dissolve very slowly. I know my dog uh, had to be put to sleep, and it was just horrific. They tell you this this big lie that, oh, it takes five seconds and they're gone. My dog fought death, and it was terrible. Even the vet tech was crying, and I was hysterical. And 
um, my dog, I will swear this on the cross of Christ, my dog came back to me four days after she died. She was with me for two weeks, and I heard her leave. And I don't care what anybody says, I'd swear to it under oath in a court of law. That's, uh, you know, that that's, uh, I'm sure, her resonating with a lot of people uh, who've had pets. I've heard many of those types of stories. Okay, because we're tight on time, uh, let's get into the Tibetan Book of Dead. And um, if we want to, uh, once we pass, uh, first let me work this in very quickly. Uh, this whole notion, uh, there's a, there was a movie uh, called 21 Grams. Uh, the idea is that uh, scientists have discovered that when someone dies, the moment of death, their body weighs exactly 21 grams less because the soul, once it leaves the body, happens to weigh 21 grams. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've read that too. And um, I really am not too familiar with that study other than the fact of the end result that was published to the general public. And it's entirely possible because at this time we just don't have enough scientific knowledge, you know, to prove all of this. Okay. But um, it, it's it's certainly a possibility that is out there. All right. Now, if you have lived a rather um, dissolute, <laughs> yes, you have you have not behaved yourself in this. Uh-huh. Uh, to put it lightly, uh, so is the idea here? The suggestion is that even. At the moment of death, there is a there is a way um, that you can escape going to hell. Well, you, you have to, you still are going to have to go through um, you know your life review, uh, but um, the thing is is that there is a flash that takes place um, during the death process, and that is kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. And whatever happens, make sure that you do not turn away from the light. Now, Whitley Strieber, who you probably know as the uh, the famous UFO person, oh yes, he associated the light that he saw with a UFO experience that was extremely negative. But this has nothing to do with UFO experience. This happens to do with the death and the death of the physical body, because um, I believe that physical death is like. Uh, having an old car, and your body is the old car, and finally it's not going to go on any farther, and you step out of that old car, and that's your real self stepping out of the car. But um, what you have to do is don't turn away from the light when you see that light, because if you do, that will send you on this, what is called the Bardo experience, where the soul has to travel these lower dimensions uh, before it can uh, get to uh, where it is supposed to go. So that's the key, is is uh, that we always hear that, right? Walk towards the light, go towards the light. We hear ghost whisperers, uh, for example, uh, who are cleansing a house, telling the departed souls, you know, go towards the light. Um, so if you don't, if you don't walk towards the light, you've got to sort of Work your way through all of the other planes of uh, the planes of existence in order to find your way back. Is that the idea? Well, this is true, and according to the teachings of Tantra and Vedanta and Yoga, uh, we have five bodies, you know, which we talked about. Right. And um, uh, there are a minimum six things that can occur to the spiritual body when physical death ensues. And what can happen is it can become earthbound, as we were just talking about. 
And this can happen, as I said, if a person dies in a depressing or lonely situation or in a horrific or violent one. And uh, again, under these circumstances, they do not know they are dead. Um, then uh, the other thing is, is when the physical or um, the physical body dies, the astral body disintegrates, and it disintegrates into the walls of the room in which the person died, and also into the furniture, you know, and, and the, wall, the, the ceiling, the floors, whatever. And by sheer chance, someone uh, may show up who happens to be the right catalyst to activate the energy. And in my uh, conversations with various Catholic bishops' offices throughout the United States, uh, they informed me that they will not send someone out for hauntings, but you can ask a local priest to uh, bless the surroundings. Uh, but uh, there are some very powerful sounds called Shakti mantras, which will immediately eliminate that energy, and that would have to be done by a Hindu who knows how to do that. Right. Now, check uh, the yellow pages. <laughs> but there are people, Diane, that deserve a fast track to the, uh, you know, uh, the furnace room. Uh, Hitler, we mentioned, obviously. Stalin. Uh, there are people that deserve to be there. Why, you know, why would they have an opportunity, why should they have an opportunity to escape that fate? They don't. See, eventually, they have to go through uh, the lower dimensions. You know, it may, for some reason, whatever that room uh, reason is, that they get trapped somewhere. Um, that will only be temporary, and eventually they will have to make that journey uh, through the um, the lower dimensions. And, uh, uh, you know, besides uh, the, the lower pits of hell, uh, dimensions one and two, we are the third dimension, um, are supposed to be uh, the dimensions of hell, limbo, and purgatory, with hell having uh, various degrees of intensifying misery, um, or as, as I said, state, you know, the religious teachings call it the pits. And uh, the, the people who have had the near-death experiences where they saw that, they say it's a very real place and that the horrors of uh, the lowest dimensions are reserved for those with um, sexual perversions, sadists, psychopaths, drug addicts, alcoholics, suicides, murderers, mean, unloving, greedy people, criminals, and other serious sinners. And uh, there have been reports that these people are unceasingly attacking each other and are in constant torment. And uh, there is um, also a level where um, the uh, chakras, particularly those abused, must be burned off. And this is believed to be so painful that the souls there clamor to reincarnate, to stop the burning, because reincarnation affords them the opportunity to reverse their karma without pain. But, uh, the, you know, I mean, they're going to get, you know, what they deserve. And uh, that is in part of it. And before we close here, because we only have a few minutes, is this is only one part of the book. The book is on Amazon, and uh, it's called How the Hell to Get Out of Hell, Other Dimensions and Psychic Phenomena. There's a chapter on Egyptology, a chapter on ghosts, a chapter on angels, a chapter on religion. And there's three uh, chapters on the science of psychic phenomena, how it is um, a path from parent to child. And it depends on where a person's senses are on the sensory spectrum. People who have high-frequency um, uh, sensory uh, uh, situations, uh, they are the ones who are considered psychic. And people who are at the low frequency, and uh, they have really experienced some very dreadful things. And 
it, it's not their fault at all, but they have been misdiagnosed, and some of these people have even been put into mental institutions. Oh, my. Listen, Diane, we, we simply have to have you back on the program. That will solve a lot of this uh, time I'll constraint. I'll be happy to we'll come do back. A, a part two and three. Diane Morang, a great pleasure to meet you, and thank you for spending some time with us. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Sebastian and uh, Tim Spreen in the other room, Albert Vinzel, story producer, back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along as part of that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I am coming home.